listening to audio from Twin Villages Church in Damariscotta, Maine. If you'd like to check out more resources, please visit twinvillageschurch.org. We begin now this week on a a 66-sermon journey uh, through the book of Luke. Okay, so... (laughs) We, that now, we will take breaks for Easter. Um, we will take breaks for Christmas and for Advent like we normally do. Um, and we actually may take a break here or there during this series. But I just want you to know that it's going to take us about 66 sermons to get through the book um, of Luke. Um, and that after that, we might take a break um, and do a minor prophet. Um, but then we're going to continue right on and continue through the book of Acts. Um, as well. Um, so this has been something that has been on my radar screen uh, for years, is preaching through Luke and Acts kind of back to back. And I'll unpack some of that here this morning for us as, we, as I kind of introduce uh, the sermon series uh, to you. Um, if you're really quick at doing numbers and math and stuff, if, we, if it takes us 66 sermons, that means our last sermon in Luke would be on July 21st of 2024. Okay. Um, and I was going to encourage you, like I normally do, to sit down and read the book of Luke, read, read his gospel account in one sitting. Um, it'll take you about two and a half hours uh, to do that, so if you're so inclined, um, or you can listen to it right, as well if you want to do something like that. But it, w- it would be helpful to do that, but that is a, a big ask, um, and I understand I understand that. But what I want to do is I want to read, we're just going to look at the first four verses this morning of Luke chapter 1. Um, it is the, uh, some people call this the prologue, um, it's this dedication of a writing to Theophilus, there's many different ways to approach this, but we're going to use this text this morning to kind of just think through um, 30,000 foot view of what Luke is trying to accomplish um, with his gospel um, before we really kind of dig in deep uh, starting next week. But if you'd please stand with me uh, for the reading of God's words. Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. Lord, I just thank you for this morning. Lord, I thank you for your words. Lord, I thank you even just for the song that we sang um, to open our service about you speaking to us through your words. Lord, and I pray to that end this morning like I think I do every single uh, Sunday morning before I get up to preach, Lord, that, we, that you would indeed speak. But Lord, we know that you are speaking, so it comes down to us hearing. And so Lord, I pray that you would give us ears to hear from you this morning. Lord, hearts to be changed and transformed by the hearing of your word and the teaching of your word. And I pray this all in your name. Amen. <laughs> all right, so we're going to look at Luke, like I said, 30,000 foot view um, here this morning. And so Luke, some of you may know, Luke was a doctor. Um, He was a physician. Um, Luke was a companion of Paul. Uh, But more importantly than that, right, Luke was a thorough 
and very detailed theologian. Okay, he took a lot of time and energy to compile his gospel account and the book and the book of Acts. And as it turns out, Luke actually wrote the two longest books in the New Testament by if you go by like word count or volume of writing, Luke accounts for close to a third of the New Testament. Now, Paul wrote the greatest number of books. But Luke wrote just two that take up a third of the New Testament. So Luke has a lot of things to, to say about Jesus. But he goes on beyond just saying things about Jesus because his is the only gospel that has a, a sequel. So he introduces us to Jesus and his ministry and how God brings about salvation in Jesus. And then he transitions and he writes the book of Acts, which shows how Jesus and that ministry, right, the, the ripple effect of that in the launching and the birth of the church. And it's not a ripple effect, by the way. It's, it's more like a tidal wave. Right? But how did the early church respond to the message of Jesus and that gospel message? And how did they preach Jesus? How did they carry out the mission to go and make disciples among all the nations, to both the Jews and to Gentiles? And that's what Luke accomplishes in those two books. And they're, and they're tied so tightly together, even though they've got the book of John in between them. Right? Luke and Acts are tied really tight. And so you have to, I believe, you got to read them and you got to study them back to back, which is why we're going to do that um, as a church. But what Luke does is Luke is going to talk about salvation history and the implications of that salvation history. Right? Luke begins by introducing us to John the Baptist, he begins by introducing us to, to Jesus and those birth narratives. And then he continues on through the rest of Luke, and then he continues on through the book of Acts. And the book of Acts ends with these, with these words. Paul, it's he, Paul lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. So Luke says, hey, listen, Here's this guy, Jesus, and here's how you're to live, and you're to preach the gospel without hindrance and with all boldness, like Paul did. So he's giving you this breadth of salvation history and the implications of that. He's going to rely heavily on Isaiah and Isaiah's promise that one day God is going to restore his people. He's going to save his people. He's going to bring salvation to his people, and not just to his people, but to all peoples, Jew and Gentile. He's going to think about these, these, the salvation history in kind of this way, is that you had the law and the prophets, right? But the law and the prophets, that ended with John the Baptist, right? Jesus says in Luke 16, 16, the law and the prophets were until John, that's John the Baptist. Since then, the good news of the kingdom of God is preached and everyone forces his way into it or is urgently invited into the kingdom of, of God's. So he's going to say, hey, here's, here's the law and the prophets ends with John the Baptist. So we have the birth of John the Baptist next week. But then you have this, 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 this Jesus, this, this man, this man who is fully God and fully man. You have his birth and his ministry, his death and his resurrection, his exaltation. That's a time of fulfillment. 
John the Baptist kind of ended the time of promise, and now Jesus bring, ushers in the time of fulfillment. But then that time of fulfillment spills over into the, the church and the proclamation of the gospel through his disciples, Jesus' disciples as their witnesses to Judea and to Samaria and to the other ends of the earth. And that's another extension of the time of fulfillment. That's how Luke is looking at the history of Jesus and the birth of his church. Some of the themes that we're going to encounter along our way is obviously Jesus being the Messiah, the son of David that fulfills the Davidic covenants. We're going to hear a lot about the kingdom of God's and the rule of God and His creation. We're going to hear a lot about covenants, right? the means by which God's kingdom promises are secured. It's God's plan taking center stage. We're going to hear about the good news of salvation that only comes through Jesus Christ, who gives salvation to the poor and salvation to the captives and the blind and the oppressed. And it's only through Christ, only through Jesus, that we have salvation and eternal life. We're going to hear a lot about discipleship. I think that's one of the reasons why I just enjoy Luke. We hear a lot about discipleship and what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? What does it mean to be part of a faith community, to be part of a church, and live and do life together as a church? As we acknowledge the beauty of the gospel, as we go to, to grow and to serve as we take up our cross daily and follow Jesus, what does that all mean for us? Another theme is, is meals. Right? There's, there's six meals in the book of Luke. Luke chapter 5, 7, 9, 14, 22, and 24. Meals that Jesus had with people that talk about grace and hope and mission and salvation, and promise. And this, by the way, is one of the reasons why every time it seems like the doors are open of this church, we're eating together. Okay, it's biblical. Okay, but there is something special about sharing a meal with somebody. And we lose some of that in our culture and in our day, but back in, in Luke's day, in Jesus' day, to share a meal with somebody was a very, very personal and intimate exchange and relationship that you would have. And so that's one of the reasons why, seriously, we, we have the fellowship breakfasts and the fellowship lunches and we get pizza before our members' meetings. Like that's why we do those things, just to share a meal together. It's a very, very sweet time. And if you want to read a book that talks and unpacks some of that, read um, A Meal with Jesus by Tim Chester. It's fantastic. He unpacks those meals in the book of, in the book of Luke. And another theme will be that the gospel is indeed for all nations, right, as we, as we get out to the end of Luke and into the book of Acts, we start seeing, right, how the gospel isn't just for the Israelite nation, but it's for all people, Jew and Gentile alike. Now, Luke is writing, right, Luke is writing at the end of Paul's life, and this, this is important for us to think about for just a moment, because Luke is, as we'll, we'll hear here in a few minutes, Luke is a really, really good at gathering information, gathering facts, interviewing people, and compiling all this information. Right? But he is writing at the end of Paul's life. And so if you think about Luke, right, he, he's heard and he's seen the work of Jesus, 
right? He's seen, right, the death, the burial, the ascension of Jesus, and then he's seen the, the, the fallout from that and the birth of the church and the church and the gospel growing and spreading out through all that known world for them at that time in the Middle East. He's seen all of this, and now he's writing, right, looking back saying, okay, here's all that's happened, right? How do I try to capture all of this in a book, but as he's writing this, there were issues that were in the church. Because remember, he's writing in the day and age of the church, right? He's seen churches planted. He's seen churches grow. He's probably seen churches die. But he's seen the work of the gospel, right, in the church. And so there are these questions that are out there. And these questions are important because he's writing to this man, Theophilus. But he's not just writing to Theophilus. He's writing to us too. But he's writing to Theophilus. But here are some of the issues that were out there. Number one was this question of salvation, right? And, and how could Gentiles be included with God's chosen people, the Jews? How can a Gentile be on equal footing with a Jewish person? That was one of the issues. Number two would have been this, this tension, right, that was there because this was God's plan of salvation for his people, but for all the nations, Jew and Gentile alike, but you would expect the Jewish people to embrace that salvation, but yet those are the ones that seem to reject it and rebel against it and push against it and respond in just a negative, antagonistic way. Right? We'll read in Acts about Paul just getting fed up with the temple, with the synagogue, and going out and meeting people in the streets. Right? Why is that? Number three, how could the teaching of Jesus, how could the influence of Jesus still hold weight in that day when he's no longer physically present? How, how can that be? He's, not, he's no longer here, but yet he still is having influence and impact to this day and this age, but he's not physically here. It's part of God's plan, but there, there seemed to be a disconnect with some of the people in the church. And then number four, um, what does it mean to, re to respond to Jesus? Not just to believe, but to respond to him. Right? What, what is required of a disciple of Jesus. If I, if I make this commitment to follow him, what does that mean? How does that practically play out in my everyday life? So what am I supposed to be? How am I supposed to act and live as a believer? But then how is the church supposed to live and act as a group of believers? So those are the four issues, and this is the burden that I think that Luke has as he starts to define Jesus and unpack the life and ministry of Jesus, and what does it mean to believe in Jesus, and what does that commitment involve, and, and how does this play out for the rest of our lives as we wait for the return of Jesus? It's, it's his story, but how does that impact my life to this day. 
And Jesus prepared his disciples for this, right? And we'll see all of this in the book of Luke. So now we get to our text. <laughs> the first four verses, which is actually just one sentence um, in the original language, in the Greek. Okay? And we're going to take this in two chunks. Uh, verses 1 and 2, and verses 3 and 4. And what we see in those first two verses is that there was kind of this standard pattern or the standard practice that was around, right, when Luke right, starts to write this book to Theophilus, right? Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, right? That there were many people, right, who were seeking to capture and document the details and the descriptions and the facts about the life of Jesus. Some of them may have been oral tradition. Some of it may have been actually writing like Luke is undertaking here. Right? We know that there were other accounts of the life and ministry of Jesus. Uh, many believe that Mark was the first gospel written, and actually Luke borrowed from Mark to help formulate and kind of compile his narrative on the life of Jesus. There's Matthew, there's John. But, but there were others as well that were trying to capture this. It could have been more from a historical perspective, not so much a quote-unquote Christian perspective, but they're trying to capture the life of Jesus and all that happened because of him. So people did take notice, and they wanted to capture this. <laughs> right? It's not a novel. Right? It's not a novel but it's an account of what Jesus did, right? It's not a story made of all these different characters and plot twists and all those kind of things. It's, it's an account of the life and the ministry of Jesus and all that he accomplished, all that he fulfilled. And for Luke, that is God's plan of salvation, those promises and the law and the prophets that are now fulfilled and accomplished in Jesus. And in reality, if we think about this very personally, right, the, the past believers in Christ, the past disciples of Jesus, those of us who are currently following Jesus, we're all united by Jesus and the events of his life. And they should and they need to have a profound significance in the way that we live today. <laughs> and all this is from the beginning, right? This is the, the start of the ministry of Jesus, <laughs> right? But Luke takes it back and says, no, we, we can start there, but we need to go back one step, and we need to be, go back to this man, John the Baptist, I need to introduce you to John the Baptist so you understand that he's fulfilling the time of promise. He's the end point. And now Jesus picks up this time of fulfillment. You need to understand the role of, of John. But there's a reliability of, of these accounts, right? These, these eyewitnesses and these ministers of the word have been going around since the day of Jesus, right, teaching 
and reporting and being eyewitnesses and ministers of the word saying, this is what this man did. Right? And so Luke is going to talk to these people. Luke is going to talk to those eyewitnesses. Luke is going to have those conversations to understand what happened. And it guarantees right, the quality of his writing, the quality of his work, because he's going to the eyewitnesses. So he can fact check his sources very easily. He can find out, right, maybe these are events that he experienced himself, right, maybe there's others that are, it's so fresh and so new that it's not going to be made up, you can easily verify it and make sure that it's true. And these people were recording this information and Luke is going to go back and do a tremendous amount of work in understanding these events and to take that and compile that into this, this book for Theophilus. So that's the, the past kind of pattern. That's what's been happening. And so then in verse 3, Luke says these words, It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account to you, O most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. Right? Luke is not, right? When, he, Luke, when Luke says, it seemed good to me also, um, Luke is not taking a shot at those previous accounts. Right? He's not saying, you got it all wrong, listen to me, I've got all the answers. That's not what Luke is doing here. Right? What Luke is doing here is saying, okay, I, I think that I have something to offer. Um, I've done some research, I've done my homework on this, and I want, to, I want to become part of this conversation. I want to become part of this remembering what Jesus did. And so Luke is throwing his hat in the ring, so to speak, to begin to understand and to present Jesus and what he did. And he wanted to do this, and he wanted to compile an orderly account for this man, Theophilus the most excellent Theophilus. <laughs> we don't know who Theophilus is, all right, but he's most excellent. So he was most likely a man of some position, of some sort of rank or, or influence, most likely um, a Gentile, <laughs> right? But he's writing to this man, Theophilus, and I want you to hear, right, how Luke talks about this. Because we can have tremendous confidence, right, in the Word of God when we just think about what Luke did to compile his book. It was a careful, long-term investigation that went back to all the events surrounding the birth of John the Baptist and the birth of of Jesus. It was a very careful and it was a very thorough investigation. It was a very strict investigation. Luke didn't get cute. He stuck with the facts. He paid careful attention to the accuracy of these accounts and the people he spoke to, the people that he interviewed, the eyewitnesses, and those who had gone before him and were ministering the word of God to, to people. <laughs> That's what Luke did. It's inspired 
by God, right? This is the word of God, and so there's, there's the Holy Spirit is part of this writing, and Luke was carried along by the Holy Spirit as he wrote this, right? But Luke engages in careful historical work in compiling his gospel accounts, right? So inspiration, right, the Holy Spirit inspiring the authors of the Bible, it doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit, like, goes around them. It means that the Holy Spirit uses them and uses their personalities, uses their gifts to present the Word of God to His church. That's why Luke's account is so structured and so orderly, right? And some of you are kind of like, I dig that, right? While others of you are like, I kind of like Mark, because Mark seems like Mark has ADD. And Mark just seems to be bouncing around, and it's this, oh, then it's this, and then immediately that. Like, Mark just seems to be all over the place. I identify with that. It's telling the same story. But you see the personalities of, of Luke, and you see the personalities of Mark shine through in the writing as the Holy Spirit used their personalities and used their gifts to present us the life and the ministry of Jesus. And so Luke is determined to write an orderly and a logical account for this man, Theophilus. But it wasn't just for Theophilus, it was for anyone who's going to read this account. So that's for us today in 2023. Now, when it talks about being an orderly account, that doesn't mean that everything is presented in chronological order, right? Some things are, all right? <laughs> but not everything. It means that it's going to be very coherent and that there's a structure and there's a plan for the way that Luke wrote. Sometimes Luke is going to group things by geography, whether it be in Galilee or Samaria, on the way to Jerusalem, Right, then we can spill over into the book of Acts. We talk about Judea and Samaria and then, and then Rome. But sometimes Luke thinks from a geographical standpoint when he talks about the ministry of Jesus and the growth of the church. Sometimes Luke approaches this more in a salvation historical method. He wants to show the progress of salvation under the direction of God. So that's why he starts with John the Baptist. And then he goes to Jesus, and then he starts unpacking it that way. And ultimately, he ends up spending a lot of time with this guy, Paul, and capturing all the ways, not all, some of the ways that God used Paul to build his church. So he moves from the promise to the fulfillment of that promise first in Christ and then in the church. But his purpose is verse 4, right? So that Theophilus may have certainty concerning the things that he has been taught. <laughs> Luke is writing so that Theophilus can have assurance, that Theophilus can by God's grace, remain faithful to the things that he's been taught. That the only salvation that is real and true salvation is lasting salvation, is salvation in Jesus and Jesus Christ alone. 
And if you're a follower of Jesus, this is what it means to follow Jesus. You, you, you can bank on this, Theophilus. Luke wants to make sure that Theophilus has certainty. That he knows exactly who Jesus is and what Jesus accomplished and what Jesus offers. That he can know without a doubt, right, completely that because of what Jesus has done for you, Theophilus, this is how you then live your life. This is the result of what God has done for you. That's why Luke is writing. <laughs> now, that word certainty um, is very interesting, right? I, I, I kind of like landed there at one point this week when I was studying, and <laughs> there's three other places. I think there's actually more than three, but I have three that kind of jumped off the page to me here. Um, where this word is used again, right, in different passages, right? So in Romans chapter 1, verse 32, right, this is at the end when Paul is, is talking about how foolish um, people are for rejecting God and rejecting the gospel, right, that their foolish hearts become darkened, God turns them over, God turns them over, God turns them over, that passage in Romans chapter 1 and in verse 32, he writes these words, though they know. Right? Now, that's the same word for certainty that Luke uses for the opposite, that the opposite is going to know beyond the shadow of a doubt who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. Paul uses that same word talking about those who are rejecting God and, and suppressing the truth. Though they know right, exactly beyond the shadow of a doubt God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. So those people that Paul's writing about know beyond a shadow of a doubt that they're wrong and that they're suppressing the truth and they're going to be judged for that. They're not doing it out of ignorance. It's powerful. Paul in Colossians chapter 1, verse 6 Talking about the gospel, which has come to you, he tells the Colossians, as indeed the whole world that is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth. That word understood is the exact same word that you know this beyond the shadow of a doubt. You know this through and through. You feel it. It's part of who you are. The gospel is part of who you are, and it's influencing the way that you live. The gospel bears fruits. It's the grace of God and truth. And then in Colossians chapter, or no, excuse me, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12, Paul writes these words, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even I has, as I have been known, have been fully known. Certainty. Right? Then I shall know fully. Same words. I shall know completely. I shall know beyond the shadow of a doubt the beauties of Christ and his gospel. Even as, he says, I have been fully known. Same word. God just doesn't know about you. He knows all about you. Fully. Completely. Right? It's a fascinating, fascinating words that Luke uses to describe to Theophilus, this is what I want you to know, right? You can almost see him like shaking him beyond a shadow of a doubt. Theophilus had been taught 
Theophilus had knowledge. He had training. He was most likely being discipled. And Luke's saying, don't waver in this. Have assurance. I want you to endure to the ends. Right? Your, your faith, you notice here Luke saying, like, Theophilus, if your faith starts to waver, if you begin to doubt, if you begin to hear and believe what the naysayers are saying about this salvation in Christ, your faith is going to start to waver. Stop it. Know and believe what you have been taught. You, you, you know what God's plan is. It was fulfilled in Christ. You know what it means to be a disciple. You know what it means to, to live in a community with other disciples of Jesus and to be a church. Religious commitments in that Greco-Roman world um, were very far-reaching. And so you have this man, Theophilus, who was a man of rank and a man of importance, who had made a commitment to Christ, and there's a cost. <laughs> he makes a commitment to Christ... That means that all those Greco Roman gods are nothing. It's about gods and Jesus Christ. He's denying that those other religions hold any sort of weight at all. It's all about Jesus. It's going to cost him. He's believing in the gospel of Jesus Christ, which dissolves and realigns the social structures. And how people relate to one another. Whether you're a master or a slave, you're rich or poor, it changes the way you relate. The societal structures are going to change because you're a Christian now. You relate differently to people. That's going to cost you. You're going to now, because of the gospel, you're going to confront cultural norms. You're going to con con confront these, these social issues. You, you, you can't just sleep around with anyone that you want to. You stay committed to your spouse. I think things are different now. That's not acceptable anymore because you're in Christ. Authority structures are going to be different in the home, in your town, in your village in your city, in the empire. It's different now because you follow King Jesus, not Caesar. So for Theophilus, to follow Christ was costly. And maybe Theophilus is wavering here. We don't know. Right? We don't know anything about Theophilus. But we know that Luke is saying Listen, despite the social tension, despite the way that you're going to be persecuted, right? you're going to be pushed to the fringe, you're going to suffer, don't waver on what you know to be true. 
Your family could disown you, Theophilus. They could try to run you out of town. You could lose your position. But you follow Christ. Don't waver on what you know to be true. Right? And that's, not, that's just not for Theophilus. That's for us. When we think about the call to follow Christ and what that could mean to us in our own families, in our neighborhoods, in our towns, we can't waver on what we know to be true. We need to stay committed to it. So he's telling Theophilus, listen, I'm writing you this account so that you can have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught, the things that you know to be true. <laughs> right, the Christian faith is based on eyewitness testimony. Right, If you think about this, and it rests on factual, historical events. It's not this philosophy, it's not just like this philosophical kind of idea, right? It's not just a worldview, it's not just a way of living in the world, like it is all of those things, right? But it's anchored in historical events surrounding the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Our faith depends on this, right? Belief in the God who created the heavens and the earth. The God who called Abraham to the land of Canaan. The God who freed his people from Egyptian slavery. The God who gave his people the promised land. The God who was patient with his people when they rebelled against him, but he remained faithful to his covenant promises. The God who sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to this earth. Who lived and who gave up his life. Was crucified under Pontius Pilate. Who was raised from the dead on the third day. Sounds like the Apostles' Creed, doesn't it? Right? Yeah, that, that's the historical bedrock of our faith. So the fundamental reason for becoming a Christian right, is not because Christianity solves psychological and social problems, right, not because it makes you know, the earth a better place or our town or our village or whatever a better place. No, we, we, we are Christian because it's true and because Christ really did live on this earth and he did really give up his life to pay for our sins and we see the fruit of that in the church and the growth of his people and the gospel bearing fruit and growing that's why we're a Christian because it's true have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught Lord I just thank you for your words Lord I thank you for the truth of your words <laughs> Lord it's my prayer Lord that we would take 
even just these first four verses. Like we could just take that fourth verse in Luke chapter 1, and we think about the certainty concerning the things that we have been taught, the things that we know to be true about Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would give us assurance. Lord, I pray that you would give us a sense of encouragement and hope. Lord, that we would take that hope out to others. <laughs> that we would share that with one another. But that we would share that in our community. That we would share that with our neighbors. That we would share that with those we come in contact with. Lord, that we would have certainty beyond certainty about who you are and what you have done for us. That we would not waver and the hope that we have, and that hope is only in Jesus Christ and his gospel. We pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this audio from Twin Villages Church in Damariscotta, Maine. Feel free to share this message with others, and for more information about Twin Villages Church, visit twinvillageschurch.org. Soli Deo Gloria. Thank you.